We're in a series uh, that's called Paranormal. And we're simply saying, hey, is there something on the other side? Is there something beyond the experience that you and I experience every day of our lives? And our answer is a definitive, absolutely yes. Matter of fact, here's what we said to each other two weeks ago. The supernatural world is actually more real than the experience that you and I have in our day-to-day lives, this temporal world we're in. Here's why. Everything you and I experience, our bodies, the physical walls we touch, the smell, all of that's going to pass away. It is all temporary. This is like living in a tent, guys. This world is temporary, and you need to know that in comparison to the supernatural world, this world that you and I live in and the bodies we is weak. This is small-time stuff. If you want to talk legit, talk supernatural, because the supernatural world is eternal, and it's way, way, way more powerful than anything that you and I are familiar with, okay? So this, this is big time stuff. And one of the things that we figured out two weeks ago is, is that we have an enemy who absolutely hates our guts. And if you and I go to sleep on this topic, he's going to catch us when we're least aware and our lives are going to end up in a place we never hoped to go with regret we never wanted to have because we didn't realize that we were in a war. There's no such thing as being spiritual Switzerland and ignoring the conflict. You are the conflict. Today we're going to kind of tackle this question that says, hey, that stuff, that kind of weird, funky stuff you see in movies and you see on TV, you know, where things are floating across a room or uh, people see like ghostly figures and stuff like that, or people just walk into like a house and they go, man, there's just something really, really dark here. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm just telling you it's palpable. You can sense that there's something just dark here. Is that legit? Is that real? Does that stuff really happen? And the answer is yes. Yes. That is absolutely real. What you're seeing, and although Hollywood may Hollywood it up, but what they are chronicling and the reason that that conversation is because there are moments in which the veil between this world and the supernatural peels back and suddenly people experience stuff that wouldn't be normal. And here's what we're going to discover today. That it's possible. It's possible to make decisions in my life that expose me to supernatural forces, to supernatural events, to satanic influence that I would not normally experience if I hadn't made that decision in my life. And we're going to talk about that and talk about how to avoid that in our lives. So here's, here's the first question is, well, then how come you and I don't experience that every day? How come you and I don't walk into houses every day and sense something dark? How come, how come you and I don't see things floating around every day? How come that's not a normal event if it's really real? And so grab your Bibles, and uh, we're going to go to the book of Job. Job chapter 1. And if you're not familiar, let me help you get there. If you go to the middle of your Bible, you're probably going to find the book of Psalms. Go to the left a little bit. Uh, You're going to find this book of Job. If you're out of work, it is not the book of Jobs. It's the book of Job. Uh, Job chapter 1. Let me set this passage up for you for a moment. Uh, It's chronicling a moment in the past in which Satan 
is actually going to have a conversation, to have an audience uh, with God. And you remember that we said two weeks ago that Satan is actually a fallen angel, that he was the highest covering cherub, the most powerful, the most beautiful angel that was ever created in the history of the world, and yet he rebels against God. He says, God, I know how to live better. I, I know how to be in control. I don't want you in charge, and he's cast out of heaven that what you and I refer to today as demons are actually one-third of the angels of heaven who followed Satan in rebellion. And that's where what we, get, we call demons come from. They're fallen angels. This is a moment in which God is having an audience with the angels and Satan shows up. It's Job chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 9. Here's what it says. Actually, let's start in verse 6, I'm sorry. Job chapter 1, starting in verse 6. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth who's like him, he is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He says, look, have you looked at Job? I mean, here's a guy who is an all-out, totally dedicated follower of me. Satan's response, verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? And what Satan says in this moment, says, well, of course Job follows you. You've blessed his life. I mean, things are coming up, roses for the guy. Why wouldn't he be faithful to you right now? Let me have a shot at him. Let me, let me make his life tough, and then let's see if he loves you. Okay? Back to verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied. Ready? You have put a, what's the next word? hedge around him and his household and everything he has. You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here's what Satan says, look, 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 of course Job is following you. You've made his life come up good on every account. He doesn't have any reason not to trust you. And you've placed, you ready? A hedge of protection around him. In other words, God, you've created some rules. And I, Satan, am outside of that hedge and this keeps me from doing what I would do. If you would give me full access to this guy, I would mess him up. But the problem is you've created this hedge that keeps me from doing what I want to do. And God, if you were to pull it back and give me greater access to it, man, I could mess him over spiritually. This is interesting because that very same principle applies in our life. You realize that every one of us lives behind or within the protective hedge of God. That God has said to Satan, look, no, 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 no. There's certain things you cannot do. There's, there's certain uh, temptations. There's, there's certain trouble. There's certain... Pro you cannot do that to their life. It's one of the reasons, you ready? It's one of the reasons that you and I don't experience some of the 
paranormal stuff that we see in movies and see on TV, even though it's real, is because you and I are behind the protective hedge of God. And God said, no, you cannot do that to them. It's interesting. We take mission trips over to Kenya. And a part of going on those missions trips is that we, uh, we go on safari, and every time we go on safari, we go to visit uh, some Maasai people, the Maasai tribe. And the Maasai tribe are lion hunters. Uh, they raise cattle, and then they uh, hunt the lions that are in the area. And if you go there, one of the things you discover real quickly is that they build their houses in a circle, each of the houses facing to the interior of the village. They then line the outside with acacia branches because they have huge thorns on them. You ready? They create a hedge around the village. Every single night, they bring all the cattle in so that they can be within the safety of the hedge. Now, this is a little discomforting because you wake up in the morning and the cows have been in the center of the village all night long and the cows have done what cows do. And let's just say it's a little bit soggy. But the cool part is this. The hedge denies the lions access to the cattle. Go to a Maasai and say to him, hey, how about building your house outside the hedge? And they would tell you, you're insane. This is lion country. You get that God is teaching you and I the very same principle. That you and I live in lion country. That, that one of the reasons that you and I are protected and safe is because we are within the hedge which God has created. And you and I would be absolutely foolish to live our lives outside of that protection, outside of that hedge in our lives. So here comes the million-dollar question. God may have created the hedge, and there may be protection, but is it possible, is it possible for a Christian or maybe even a non-Christian to make decisions in their life, to decide something or to go somewhere that they shouldn't have gone or to do something they shouldn't have done or to consult somebody they shouldn't have consulted and expose their lives outside the hedge. And now, instead of Satan having to say, look, I don't have access, I can't get to him, I now suddenly expose my life to satanic and demonic influence that God never intended because I chose to place my life outside the hedge. And the answer is yes. It's where all of that stuff that you and I see in movie, all that stuff begins to come in play. It's when you and I make decisions. And let me, one of the most powerful ways, one of the most obvious ways in which this happens is when a Christian or a non-Christian decides to consult the supernatural and tries to make contact with some sort of entity or some sort of force other than God. And the moment you do that, you move outside the hedge and you expose your life to things that you never should have been exposed to. Matter of fact, let's talk about how that happens for a moment or two. Grab your Bibles again, go with me to Luke chapter 16. And guys, I just want to say this out loud. You want your Bibles here. You want to be sure that what you and I are talking about is really the Word of God and not just my ideas and my thoughts on something, but rather that Scripture actually backs it up and teaches it. So go with me real quick to Luke chapter 16. If you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find this passage. Luke chapter 16. 
Oh, I love the here rustling of pages. That's cool. Good for you. Luke chapter 16. All right, so let's set this up. We said two weeks ago, there really are only five supernatural players. In other words, if you and I are going to make any sort of contact with the supernatural, there's really only five players that you and I can make contact with. We said human beings are supernatural. So the question comes, can I make contact with Uncle Wilbur once he's passed to the other side? You know, can I have him come back and say, hey, you know, I was thinking about putting vanilla creamer in my coffee. What do you think? You know, can I do that? God is supernatural, and you and I can make contact with God. Angels are supernatural. Satan is supernatural. Demons are supernatural. But here's what you got to get, guys. Apart from those five possibilities, there are not innocuous spirits and powers. There are not, are not forces beyond those five, which means that anytime you and I make contact with the supernatural, it by its very nature has to be one of those five possibilities. Does it make sense? So then here comes the million dollar question. When you and I go to a medium and we say, hey, bring Uncle Wilbur back, is it really Uncle Wilbur? When you and I go to a fortune teller and they pull out the tarot cards, and let's say for a moment those tarot cards are accurate, where did that information, of those five, where did that information come from? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because here's the deal, okay? You ready for this? There really are, if you stop and think about it, only three possibilities of what's happening when you and I make contact with the supernatural. One is that it's fake. One is, is that what's happened in that moment is, is that we've run into a charlatan or a faker, and they're just trying to take us for their money. And so you get there and they go, you know, I, uh, I think I'm talking to uh, 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 your uncle on the other side, and you go, no, all my uncles are alive. He goes, um, maybe it's a grandfather, and you go, oh yeah, my grandfather died a couple years ago. Okay, it's your grandfather. I knew it was a male figure. I knew that. Um, um, I'm, I'm seeing like Joseph, no, I don't know any Joseph, Jonathan, no, jo George, oh yeah, George, oh yeah, I, I see, I knew it was a ja, I knew there was a ja in there somewhere, you know, and all it is is they're, you know, it's just, you know, halfway legit guessing, and, and all they're trying to do is take you and confuse you and get your money, and so there's a possibility that it's just a fake, it's just a charlatan, it's just a carnival act. The other possibility is, hey, maybe it's real. Maybe Uncle Wilbur's really coming back. Maybe Uncle Wilbur had some unfinished business and he's coming back to talk to you and me and he's going, hey, look, look, I just got to tell you, I left something boiling on the stove. You probably ought to turn it off. You know, I had to get back and tell you that. So maybe it's real. That's another possibility. Or the other possibility is that it's demonic, that it's satanic. Okay, so it's either, it's real, or it's fake, it's real, it really is Uncle Wilbur, or God is sending me messages, or it's demonic. Th those are really the only three categories you get into. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus is going to tell you and me, it's not real. That that doesn't happen. That God doesn't have dead people, people who've left their bodies, come back and have conversations with you and me. It doesn't happen. And that God doesn't have those conversations. 
So grab your Bibles. It's Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Here's Jesus. And Jesus, who absolutely understands the supernatural, because guess who created the supernatural, is for a moment going to give you and me a glimpse into the supernatural. And he's actually going to tell you and I the experience of two people who've gotten to the other side and what that experience was like for them. And here's what you need to know. This is not a parable. Whenever Jesus tells parables, he does not name people by name. And in this moment, he actually tells you and I the name of the players. So you ready? Here it is. It's Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Here's what it says. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came to lick his sores. The time came for the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. I am shocked. I am amazed at how many Christians do not believe in hell. And you just need to know, hell is an absolute real place. Heaven is an absolute real. Jesus teaches that heaven and hell are real. And here's something you got to know. Bad people don't go to hell and good people don't go to heaven. That's not how this works. Forgiven people go to heaven and unforgiven people go to hell. People who finally came to the moment that said, look, I can't be good enough, I need Jesus Christ and I need to be forgiven, go to heaven. And people who said, I don't need God and forget about that and I don't need his forgiveness or I'm gonna work my way to heaven, miss heaven and go to a place called hell. And Jesus teaches this so clearly. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called out to him, this is the rich man, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I'm in agony. He says, look, I, I, would, I would long to just have Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in and bring me one drop to put on my tongue. That's how bad this is. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm is fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes back to them, they'll repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You get the conversation. 
Abraham in this moment says, look, 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 no, 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 no. God's already said what he needs to say. Everything you and I need to know is already in writing. And God is not in the practice of sending people back from the dead to have conversations. Even, you ready for this? Even if that conversation was about heaven and hell. No. It's already written. Everything they need to know. And God doesn't send people back. And there aren't disembodied spirits of people waiting to try to figure out, hey, am I going to heaven or am I in purgatory? I'm going to do a couple good things. And, you know. No. Once a person dies, it's either heaven or hell. Matter of fact, you ready for this? In the last 6,000 years, there have only been two conversations with dead people ever recorded in Scripture. One of them is with a king who's living in absolute disobedience and God is going to set him straight. Matter of fact, we're going to look at that story in a minute. And the other one is when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah show up to say to the disciples, Jesus is the Son of God. Two times in 6,000 years that someone from the dead has come back to have a conversation with someone who's living. And look, look, I know you're special, but you are not the third time. You're not. And what Jesus is clearly teaching here is that conversations with the is not how God does it. There's a great chasm fixed and we cannot cross it, is what Abraham says. So here's what you need to know. What Jesus just taught you and me is that when you and I make contact, when we try to consult with something supernatural on the other side, it is not God and it isn't Uncle Wilbur. It's not possible. Which means, are you ready for this? It leaves only one of two options. Either you and I are dealing with a fraud you're dealing with someone who's faking you out and trying to deceive you and take your money. Or you're making contact. But you're making contact with something that's demonic and dark. Because God doesn't do that. Matter of fact, uh, there's another story in Scripture. It's the story of that king. So grab your Bibles and go with me to 1 Samuel. And if you're not aware, go all the way to the front of your Bible. Start working to the right, 1 Samuel, chapter 28. And it's a moment, one of those rare moments uh, in time when someone actually has a conversation with someone from the dead. 1 Samuel, chapter 28. Let me set this up for you for a moment. It's King Saul. And Saul has been living his life in rebellion from God. And the reality is he's struggling in his prayer life because he's been so disobedient, he's been so rebellious that he no longer can hear the voice of God. And think about this, rather than repent, guys, it's a big deal because there's some moments in our lives, there may be some people sitting in this room right now and you know you've lived in disobedience from God and God has seemingly grown silent. And you get that the best way to hear from God is to confess and go, look, I get it. I've lived in disobedience. I've lived out of line. I want to be back in obedience and submission to you. You'd be surprised at how quickly you begin to hear the voice of God again in your life. But Saul refuses to repent. He doesn't want to do that. But here's his dilemma. The Philistines are attacking. And he wants to know how the battle's going to turn out. 
he used to be able to listen to the prophet of God, a guy by the name of Samuel. But now Samuel is dead. And so Saul comes up with this idea. I'll go to a medium. I'll ask her to call Samuel up from the dead. And I'll ask Samuel, how is the battle going to go? Now here's the dilemma. Saul had already been instructed by God to get rid of all the mediums, all the soothsayers, all the fortune tellers, and get them out of Israel. It was illegal to do that. And Saul, the king, was the one that made the law. Now he wants a medium. So he disguises himself and goes to a medium to try to get her, without knowing who he is, to call Samuel up from the dead so we can have a conversation. It's a really interesting story. Here's where it goes. First Samuel, chapter 28, starting in verse 9. But the woman said to him, said to Saul, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? She says, look, I can't do this. Saul has made it against the law. I, I can't call up this person from the dead for you. Listen, look what Saul does. Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished. How weird is that? Saul is living in a moment in his life in absolute disobedience to God. He's getting ready to consult a medium. He says to the medium who is doing dark things against from God, hey, look, I promise you on the Lord. And she goes, oh, okay, if you promise me on the Lord, that's cool. How weird is that? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished. Then the woman asked, who do you want me to bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. Now watch this. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, you have deceived me. You are Saul. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. She's a medium. Her job, right, her job is to contact the dead and have them come back and have conversations. I mean, that's what mediums do, right? Why is she freaked out when a dead person comes back from the dead, when she sees Samuel? Come on, put on your thinking hats, okay? Think about this. She's a medium. Her job is to call people back from the dead. Samuel comes back from the dead, and it freaks her out. She immediately goes, whoa, you've deceived me, and you're Saul. Why? Because it's never happened before. Every other time, she's never had a dead, remember we said, Scripture said, you don't come back from, the, she's never had a dead person come back before. Guess who she's dealt with every other time? Demons. And for the first time, someone truly comes back from the dead and she immediately knows, this is different. What did Scripture just teach you? It's either fake or you're dealing with the satanic. It's the two options. It's the two places to go. And here's what you and I need to be aware of. 
that any time in our lives when you and I begin to consult and when you and I say, look, I'm trying to get information and I'm willing to get that information through tarot cards or through crystals or through some sort of a medium, I'm willing to get information apart from God that in that moment you and I immediately step out from beyond the hedge of God's protection. All that Hollywood stuff, all that weird stuff that we were not exposed to before because before that God was saying, no, 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 no. You cannot do that. I will not give you that sway. I will not give you that. But you and I just stepped out into lion territory. Isn't it interesting? What does scripture call Satan? He is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Scripture says he is the prince of the power of the air. You get, guys, you get this is his world. He owns this world. That God gave control to Adam, and when Adam sinned, he handed over the deed. You and I live in enemy territory. Why would you and I ever get out from behind the hedge? You've all seen movies, you know, where they start shooting everybody up, you know. And invariably, in every movie, there's a guy in the middle of the gunfight who steps out from behind a perfectly good wall to start shooting. He lasts like two seconds. And you're left to go, dude, a perfectly good wall. What were you thinking? Don't be that guy. Don't be the Christian who says, you know, no, 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 I'm, I'm just going to go over here and flirt with some stuff, and I'm, I'm just going to inquire some, I, you know, I'm just going to see what it's like. I'm, I, if you're a non-Christian, if you're presenting follow, why would you get out from behind the wall? You're already enjoying God's, why would you expose yourself to that? Don't be that guy. Just in case, just in case someone was going, you know, I don't know, Lynn, I'm not sure the Bible is really clear about it. I'm not sure the Bible really says not to do this stuff. Grab your Bibles one last time. It's the last passage I'm going to have you go to. It's Deuteronomy chapter 18. So it's right at the front of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is a moment in which the children of Israel are going into the promised land and God says, look, you're going you're gonna to run everybody else out. You're going you're gonna to destroy every one of those cities. And here's why God tells them to destroy the cities that are already in Israel. Because they were involved in consulting mediums and sorcerers. And he says, I will not, you are not to tolerate that in your land. You are to push them out and have nothing to do with anybody who's involved in that. Here it is. It's Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Here's what it says. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn or imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination. Divination is where you open up the entrails of an animal or you roll bones or you roll dice, umen and, and you try to divine what's going on. Sorcery, 
There's an interesting word. Because you fast forward that word into the New Testament, the New Testament word for sorcery is pharmakeia, which is where you and I get pharmacy from. Isn't it interesting how much demonic worship actually involves witch doctors and shamans who as their medium to come in contact with evil spirits is drugs. And I'm just going to tell you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, drugs, other than medicinal, but have no place in your life. No, because here's the deal. When you put your life in a place of losing control, when you do that through, when you do that through drugs, you realize you step outside the hedge. And I, I, I don't care that that marijuana is medicinal. I don't care. Get cough syrup, okay? Stay inside the hedge. You have no business with drugs. It's, a, it's an entry point. It's a breach in the hedge. Sorcery, interpreting omens, engages in witchcraft. Well, no, 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 no. I'm just a Wiccan. I, I'm just in touch with nature, and, and I'm doing white magic in order to help people. You realize you're fooling yourself. You realize you've moved yourself outside the hedge and you have yet to experience what's going to come. You're to have no part in that. Or casting spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist, or, next phrase, who consults the dead. It's out of bounds. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You get what it's saying? Don't have any part in that. And guys, here's, here's the part that is mind-boggling to me. If you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, do you realize you have immediate access to the supernatural? It's called prayer. Immediately, you have access to the creator of the universe. Do you realize that you have the word of God in black and white? You have immediate access to the supernatural. Why would you go anywhere else? You know why we do it, right? Because there's moments we go, oh, well, God, you didn't tell me enough. Before I'm going to decide if I'm going to follow you or obey you or not, I need a little more information. And so we look to get additional information. You know what God's answer to more information is? No. No. I told you everything you need to know because you guys, 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 guys. There are moments that, let's just be honest, we wish we knew more. We wish, we wish we knew, hey, if I move to Arizona, am I going to keep that job? If I marry that person, is it going to turn out the way I want it to? Am I going to meet a boyfriend in the next six, you know, we would, we'd like to have the information. You know why God doesn't tell us that? Because you and I having only enough information requires you and me to walk by faith. It requires you and I to say, God, I don't know how this turns out, and I'm not sure how you're going to provide that boyfriend, and I, and, I, and I don't know what happens if I obey you right now, but by faith, I'm going to follow you. And you realize that it's in the moments of faith and trust that God gets the most glory from our lives, not because we've already looked at the answer and said, okay, God, I'll do that with you. And so God purposely doesn't tell us some stuff. 
And then you know the other reason God doesn't always fill in the blanks is because if he told us what he was gonna do, we would veto it. We'd say, no way, God. How many of you have raised toddlers? When you took them to the doctor, did you tell them where they were going? Let's just be honest, you're going, hey, we're going somewhere with a lollipop. Right? Did you tell them about the shot and the hunk and needle? No way. You got in that doctor's office and you're going, hey, look over there, little bird. Right? And yet, whoa, 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 whoa. And yet at the end of the day, everything you were doing was for the good of the toddler, right? But you know darn well if you told the toddler they were going to the doctor, they would have vetoed it. And I'm just telling you, if God told you everywhere he's taking you, if he told you that if you obeyed him and followed him that, you were going to lose the job. If, if he told you that, you know what, your kid was going to get sick, you'd veto the plan. I, I guarantee if, if God had told me I was going in ministry, I would have vetoed that. And God in his wonder and his grace sometimes doesn't tell us what we think we need to know because he knows he's working it to our good and we'd veto the plan. And what God is saying to you and I is, guys, look, you've got everything you need to live your life rightly. And the moment you decide to go consult some other supernatural source, you just need to know it's not me it can't possibly be me, which means you're immediately moving your life outside the hedge. You're exposing your life to the wiles and to the strategies of Satan that you never, never should have experienced in your life. Which means, some of us have messed around with Ouija boards. And I know, I know they sell them at Walmart, but I'm just telling you, as a Christ follower, you have no business. And, and, and the, you know, there's actually Christians going around right now with little crystals and they hang them beside your body and they go, you know, depending on which way the crystal turns, then I'll know which healing oils to put on you. And I'm just going to say to you, I don't care if they say they're a Christian. That has nothing to do with God because God says, I don't twist crystals. And so if God's not doing it, then what are your options? And I don't care if the enemy comes as an angel of light, have nothing to do with it have nothing to do with tarot cards and have nothing to do with crystal balls, nothing to do with astrology. Guys, if you read your horoscope, where's that information coming from? God said, it's not God. So it's either that much bunk or it's that much exposure to the demonic. Why would a Christian ever read a horoscope? Some of us in this room, you've messed with drugs. Some of us in this room, you're messing with drugs. And I'm just going to say to you, you're outside the hedge. You don't get what that exposure is. You, that, that's, it's a gateway moment in your life. And the most powerful thing that you could do, some of us today, is just to say, you know what? I, I think maybe I've made some decisions. I think maybe I've exposed myself to some things. You know, I was part of a seancer you know, we were just a bunch of little girls getting around and we were doing Bloody Mary today, together. And I think I may have opened some doors in my life and, and I'm choosing today to absolutely confess that that was wrong, that I shouldn't have gone anywhere near it, I shouldn't be messing with drugs, and I'm gonna move in obedience back behind the hedge of God's protection. And so I just want to give us that opportunity today. I want to give us a moment in case there's some people in this room who need to do business. So I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads.
And I just, I just want to say, if, if God's convicting you of something right now, if there's something that you go, you know what, that probably was an ill-lived moment, that, that may have been a moment in my life of stubbornness and self-will, and, and I shouldn't have exposed my life to that. And if you're in this room and you just go, you know what, Lynn, I, I think maybe I've got something I need to pray about. I think maybe I've got something I need to confess today. Then with everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand up for just a moment, just to acknowledge it before the Lord and say, hey, you know what, maybe I do have something. Okay, I see it. I see it. All right, you can put them back down. Anybody else just say, you know, I think maybe I got some business I need to do with the Lord on this. Okay, good, good. Good. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And even if you didn't raise your hand just now, I'm just telling you, don't walk out of this room with that hedge compromised in your life. And that that prayer would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your hedge of protection. Thank you that the enemy does not, is not supposed to have full access to me. And God, I just, I just need to say out loud, I need to confess that I've probably involved my life in some things that I shouldn't have done. I've messed with drugs. I've gone where they were using tarot cards or doing a seance to consult the dead. I, I, I get it now. I get that I never should have involved my life there, that, that doing that put me outside the hedge. It exposed me to the enemy. And I'm just, I'm just asking, before this gets bad, I want your protection back. I, I'm, I'm confessing that it was wrong. I'm acknowledging that it's not where I want to be. And I'm stepping back behind the hedge in obedience and confession right now. God, place your protection around me again. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.